0: The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. As he approached his brother, he bowed to the ground seven times before him. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they both wept. Then Esau looked at the women and children and asked, Who are these people with you? These are the children God has graciously given to me, your servant, Jacob replied. Then the servant wives came forward with their children and bowed before him. Next came Leah with her children, and they bowed before him. Finally, Joseph and Rachel came forward and bowed before him. And what were all the flocks and herds I met as I came? Esau asked. Jacob replied, They are my gift, my lord, to ensure your friendship. My brother, I have plenty, Esau answered. Keep what you have for yourself. But Jacob insisted, No, If I have found favor with you, please accept this gift from me. And what a relief to see your friendly smile. It is like seeing the face of God. Please take this gift I have brought you, for God has been very gracious to me. I have made more than enough. And because Jacob insisted, Esau finally accepted the gift. Psalm 25, verses 6-10 to Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant.
1: Amen. Amen. That was Wes, Izzy, and Maddie Cron, and we're thankful for them to read the scripture this morning. Well, this morning in the sermon that we're going to be considering, I'm going to say that I think we would divide the listeners into four groups, and just kind of like the way Jesus does in the parable of the soils. Perhaps some listeners this morning to the sermon I'm about to share will feel a little bit agitated you will feel stirred up, like the sediment at the bottom of your heart. It's gonna maybe uh, cause something at the back of your memory or at the bottom of your heart to be stirred up and you're not gonna want it stirred up and so you might not like this sermon. Some of you listening today will like it, but you'll like it for all the wrong reasons because you're gonna say, oh, I wish so-and-so was hearing this sermon. (laughs) A third group of people might be here today or listening And that is that um, you'll neither like it nor dislike it. You'll just consider that this sermon really isn't that relevant to where you're at today, and so you'll be indifferent. And then the fourth group, I hope there will be some of us among here that will hear the message this morning and receive it and say, maybe God is putting his finger on something in my life, in my past that I need to look at. So if you haven't gathered by now, This morning's message has to do with dealing with our past, and Jacob himself, who we've been studying for several weeks, is going to be our guide. You've all heard about the elephant in the room. That's hard to ignore, right? And uh, have you heard about the elephant in your past, though? I saw a little funny uh, thing on Google Images. Uh, Here's an elephant going through therapy. And he's saying, sometimes even if I stand in the middle of the room, no one acknowledges me. <laughs> you know something? Our memories, our past can be a little bit like that elephant. We just don't want to look at it. There's some areas of our past maybe that we just don't want to go there. And so how do we, how do we look at it? Um, someone identified that there are three kinds of baggage that we might carry forward in our lives. First one is sin. If you have unidentified or unresolved sin in your life, you can deny it, you can minimize it, you can try to ignore it, but uh, one way or another, you will not be free from it until you are honest with yourself, with God, and with someone else about it. Psalm 25, seven, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions, according to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. James 5.16 says that uh, we are to confess our sins one to another so that we may be healed, healed of past, healed of what is the baggage we carry in. And often we're not finally rid of that nagging nagging sin, that nagging mistake, until we actually bring it out and confess it to someone else. A second piece of baggage that we often carry forward with us in our lives is hurt, and that is things that were done against us, wounds that have not healed. And if someone has sinned against you, especially if someone that you love has sinned against you, you will be hurt. And uh, it will either, either leave open wounds that fester, or it will leave scars that have closed over. And in either case, something needs to be done. We cannot just go forward. Now, I'm not in for a moment. If you have faced abuse in your past, please do not hear me saying, just deal with it and move on. No, it's not that simple, is it? It will likely require some help. But I am telling you that if you bury it, you will not be rid of it. You will not move on from it, and you will not heal from it. And so, thirdly, the other kind of baggage that we carry forward are regrets. They plague us. They, they haunt us the regrets. We, we have, all of us in our lives, the if-onlys. If only this would have happened. If only I would have done this. The decisions you've made in the past that were bad. The missed opportunities and the harassing guilt of having not done your best at something. And so they can debilitate you, especially if the enemy sneaks in and Satan starts to whisper in your ear and accuse you and you lose your confidence going forward. You see, Satan loves... To bring up your worst past so he can rob you of your best future. That's what he likes to do. And if you let him, you you will fall into that trap. So that's baggage that we carry forward, the past. And how are we going to deal with it? Well, This morning, uh, the key is finding out someone who can help you unpack it. And especially that is God. And so we're going to take a look at that today. I love this statement. God can bring peace to your past. Purpose to your present, and hope to your future. I I trust that everybody listening today can believe that statement in their heart, that God can deal with whatever stuff I'm yet carrying of baggage from my past. There's a time to forget, and there is a time to remember. I think of Isaiah 43, 18. It says, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. I'm doing a new thing, God says. Or in Philippians chapter three, Paul says, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I strain toward what is ahead. No, there's a place for those verses. There's a place and a time to to leave the past behind us and to move on. But let's not make make the mistake of taking verses like that and contorting them in their application to think that God doesn't want you to deal with some past issues that you need to deal with because he's not going to bury them and leave them alone. They will come back and haunt you. We see that in Scripture. We see that in our history. Be careful not to confuse those verses with God's unfinished business of past memories, sins, hurts, regrets, We're going to see at the July and August, all of July and August, we're going to look at one biblical character. He's in the rest of the book of Genesis, Joseph. Joseph had to deal with his past at one point, didn't he? You know the story. Or think about Peter the Apostle. When we see Peter go down to the Sea of Galilee a few days after the resurrection of Jesus, and Jesus comes onto the shoreline and calls to Peter, does he just sweep all of the the past denying of Jesus under the rug? No, he revisits it. He has to go back. Jesus will take you by the hand, he'll go back, and he'll lead you through it, just like he did with Peter. So, let's take a look at Jacob. We've had the scripture read to us. Let's revisit, and I'm gonna suggest to you that uh, dealing with the past, we begin before God. We have to have an encounter with God first. A week ago, we talked about chapter 32 where Jacob wrestled with God, and we saw that Jacob's entire life was a wrestling match. It was a struggle, that God was taking all the circumstances and the people of his life and he was building it into subplots of his life to get him back onto the main plot, which was transforming him to be more and more like Jesus Christ. We saw how God was patient in the previous 20 years of Jacob's life to make sure that that he was knocking off all the rough edges, refining his character, humbling him, getting him ready for next stages, having to deal with his past. And after 20 years of estrangement from his family, remember, because he deceived his father, stole the blessing from from his brother, after 20 years of estrangement, Now he is on the way back to Canaan, and uh, he is stepping into the land almost, and he hears a report come from, from messengers that his brother Esau is on his way toward him with 400 men. And everything in Jacob's memory remembers that Esau wanted to kill him 20 years earlier, and that's why he fled from Canaan. And so now here is Jacob, and Jacob schemes and plans, and he decides that he's going to try and pacify his brother. And so he sends up wave after wave of animals and gifts and herds and things that will hopefully soften the blow, change the mind of Esau. He's, Jacob is doing what Jacob always does. Jacob is a survivor. Jacob is doing What he likes to do is one way or another, he's going to come through this. But then Jacob does something rather uncharacteristic. He sends everybody across the river and he spends the night alone with God. Now, so far, God had not factored into any of his plans to get back in good graces of his brother. But now, it seems like God is being invited in. As we mentioned last week this area is a very important area this geographical location where he wrestles alone with God it's on the on the edge of the promised land across the river it's called the ford of the Jabbok and a ford is not the truck you drive down the road the the ford is is a shallow area of the river where you can walk across and it's, it's a certain place where he could go into the promised land that's where Jacob stops and pauses spends the whole night and he wrestles with God and after Jacob has met God that evening it says that he emptied himself of his pride and in fact what the Hebrew word Jabok means the fort of the Jabbok is that it's it's a place of emptying the word means poured out emptied and so symbolically there was Jacob wrestling with this angel of God and he had to pour it out how did he do so Well, he he experienced a humility before God. He experienced the fact that he couldn't fix the problem he was facing. He emptied himself of his pride, and he calls that place in chapter 32, verse 30, he calls it Peniel, which means face of God. I've seen the face of God. And so one of the first steps to dealing with our past that Jacob teaches us is that we must have an encounter with God. We must empty ourselves of pride thinking that we can fix everything and we have to have a close and honest encounter with God about our past. <clears throat> That's number 1. It's incredible how uh, how we humans have the potential for self-deception. And if we do not have others speaking into our lives, if we do not come transparently before God and acknowledge who we are, we will not actually have a genuine encounter with ourselves either. And so how is it that, that he gets here? Well, the, the, the answer is that God led him to the Jabbok. God led him to that self-emptying point. God led him to this point where he could have an encounter with God. Uh, that's the one thing that we can be guaranteed of is that God wants to heal your past more than you want to deal with your past. That's the incredible thing. That's how God is. I mean, he found Moses on the backside of a desert and he said, You've you got some unfinished business, Moses. You know, he found, he found Jonah fleeing on a ship to Tarshish. He said, i got some unfinished business for you, Jonah. He found Peter at the shores of Galilee and said, You're not done with me yet, and I'm not done with you. He found Saul of Tarsus on a road to Damascus, ready to persecute the Christians. You see, God is able to find you. Your job is to find your jabbok and humble yourself. Pour it out. Be willing to look at God and at yourself in a new and honest way. That's what we see Jacob doing. Jacob is doing that. And uh, you know, it may not happen in your life like Jacob. Kind of almost seems like in Jacob's life, it's a big gulp. It happens in one foul swoop. It just is this encounter all night long with God, wrestling, leaving his hip out of joint. It may not be that way for you. It may be all kinds of little incremental humblings. I remember about um, five or six years ago when we were still at the Skirfield building, and uh, it was between the nine o'clock and the 11 o'clock service. And I went up to Pastor Kevin Klaassen and uh, I asked him about something that I had said in the nine o'clock service. And if, if, I, if it, it kind of came across okay. And uh, like he always does, he graciously responds to me. And, uh, and, then, and then I walked away from Kevin in the foyer of the Skirfield building and the moment I took a step away from Kevin, it seemed like the Holy Spirit just came and said to me, you didn't ask that to improve the sermon for the 11 o'clock service. You asked that to seek some approval. I was busted. I knew exactly what God was saying to me in that moment. And um, I didn't have to argue about it. God just took a moment to say, are you self-aware, Terry, of why you did that what you did? And um, it was a small step. It was a small thing. I remembered it this week, though, so it must be of some size. And I remember when I left that, I I named it out loud. I confessed it out loud to God, and I I had to do so. And somehow the Lord began to say to me, I needed you to say out loud that you are a proud, insecure, people-pleasing pastor. Just like when Jacob and God are wrestling, God did not ask Jacob his name to hear, I kind of forgot your name, Jacob. No. God asked Jacob to say his name because Jacob needed to say his name out loud. I'm Jacob. I'm heel grabber. I'm deceiver. I'm manipulator. That's who I am. He had to have this honest encounter with God and, and an honest encounter with himself and say, yeah, that's who I am. I am that guy, but I don't want to stay that guy. I want to move on, God, help me. And so there's this incredible self-awareness that is needed in each one of our lives where we, where we sort of have markers, And it might be, like I said, a little incident that I had five years ago in the foyer of Scurfield Church. It might be some relational encounter you've had. It might be a private experience, but there's going to be these little markers that God will give you at your ford of the Jabbok where you get to see the face of God and where you get to see your own true self. And then you have a choice to make. Am I going to recognize that that dark side that I don't want anybody else to see that is me. Yeah, I'm deceiver. I'm Jacob. And then the wonderful thing is that God turns around and says, yeah, but you're gonna be Israel from now on because you've wrestled with God. You're gonna be Israel. And so, have you had any kinds of moments like that recently where God has drawn back the curtain and said, hey, this is who you are, self-awareness, that's a good thing, and don't, don't buck it. Don't wrestle it out with anyone but God. And then come through that and say, Lord, if I have you, I have enough. It's okay. Replace the words that you've defined yourself as with a new name. Maybe be honest with you. Are you a victim? Do you play the victim? Are you the orphan? Are you the person that's always on the outs? You can't, can't be in on the crowd? Do you always define yourself with... These words, deceiver, manipulator, people pleaser. What's the, what's the tape that's going on? Well, change those words. God's gonna give you a new name, but humble yourself and acknowledge if some of that's true. And then, of course, we need to move on in the, in the scripture that we're looking at today, and that is that we need to deal with our past, not only with God and with ourselves, but with others, and especially significant others. We come to the chapter that we've read here, in chapter 33, in verse 1, After 20 years of estrangement, we read, Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming with 400 men. Divides his family up into the servants. He puts the servants and their children in one place, and behind them he puts Leah and her kids, and behind them they put Rachel and Joseph. And then after they're all lined up in in a marching form, he runs out up front, and he goes right up to Esau, toward Esau. He's expecting wrath. He's not sure if the 400 men are going to break out into a slaughterhouse. And what we see in verse 3, it says that he bows down seven times respectfully, humbly, before his brother. And in verse 4, one of the best verses, what does it say? It says, but Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, fell on his neck, kissed him, and they wept. What a wonderful text. What a wonderful scene. Is there anything more refreshing to a soul of, uh, than, than this experience of having anticipated hatred, having carried guilt, having anticipated wrath? You are surprised by grace, by forgiveness, by love, and by peace. Nothing better for the soul than when your enemy becomes your brother or sister. Have you experienced that in an estranged relationship? Have you had the joy of that? What a a joy. Paul says in Romans 12, 18, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. You know, I've been a pastor long enough and in several places where I have had experiences of several times witnessing people who are unwilling to humble themselves. I have, I have talked to two parties in, in a kind of a conciliatory fashion where I'm trying to bring uh, family members together, where I'm trying to bring friends back together or members of a church back together. And you know, the, I'm sorry to say it, but so often the, the message I get is, well, I'll talk to them if they take the, the first step. Well, if you've got two people doing that, it isn't going to happen. And it says, as far as it depends on you, Boy, Jesus' words in in Matthew 5, he says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you. You don't have something against your brother. You remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there. First, go and be reconciled. That takes humility. That takes humility. Humility. Isn't it interesting that in this scripture that we're looking at today, that Jacob's plans and schemes and his whole way of figuring out how he's going to pacify his brother is not what does it in the end. He doesn't even want any of the gifts that Jacob is giving. It's not his plan that worked. It's his prayer that worked. It's his God that worked. It's God that had gone before Jacob and and prepared the soil of the heart of Esau long before Jacob got there. Could it be that there's someone in your life and you're, you're scheming on how you're gonna reconcile and figure this out and you just need to humble yourself and trust God to go before you and you're gonna find a great surprise when you get there. God is going to already heal the relationship before you get there. But you need to start with the humbling of yourself. In verse 11, we read that Jacob says, please accept my blessing, Keyword. Please accept my blessing. He stole the blessing 20 years earlier. Now he's saying, I want you to have the blessing, okay? This is reconciliation in its truest sense. If you've wronged somebody, you try to make it right. And so, please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough and he urged him and he took it finally. Significance of this is huge because it was truly owning his past mistake. How does the whole thing end? Well, unfortunately, we see a little bit of work to be done in Jacob, even at the moment of chapter 33. We see in verse 12 that Esau offers to travel with Jacob, and Jacob makes all kinds of excuses. Well, the children are so young, and the animals can't keep up, and so then, then he says, okay, well, that's fine. I'll leave some of my men, and we'll go slow with you. That's what he says in the next verse. And uh, verse 15, and Jacob, again, he refuses. And so in verse 17, it says that, that um, even though he had agreed to meet Esau in Seir, Jacob goes to Succoth. So there's something still not completely reconciled in the relationship. And there's been some kind of a level of trust regained, but not completely. Sometimes relationships restore that way incrementally. It'll be a process for Jacob and Esau. The next time, by the way, that we see them together is at their father's funeral. Isn't it interesting that estranged siblings often meet each other at funerals? Have you ever witnessed that? Isn't it sad that they wait till funerals to bring together? I've been to funerals, I've done funerals folks, where we had to ask ushers to keep that family away from that family. And so God was doing a deeper work in Jacob. Obviously he had done it in Esau as well. And the good news is that in chapter 36 and verse six we see them actually living near each other. We see them actually becoming brothers again. They're never gonna be the same people this is, this is the tribe of the Edomites and the tribe of the Israelites, but but they reconcile. Praise God. And when we end this, this whole chapter, we, we get the idea that Jacob has really learned a primary lesson. How do we do so? We learn it because he goes and he builds an altar. Now he's done that a few times, but this time, guess what he names the altar? He names the altar, verse 20. El Elohe Israel. What does it mean? It means God is the God of Israel. That's his new name. He's, he's saying now, God, you're my God. That's huge. That's the personal encounter. With his God, that's the personal encounter with his own dark side, that's the personal encounter with the one that he estranged, his brother Esau, and now those three things come together and he's able to say with a clean conscience and with a wonderful blessing on his life, he's saying, now God, you're my God. I hope you have those three strands come together in your life. I hope you have those three strands of your relationship with God, your relationship with understanding your true self, and this relationship of understanding anybody that you've had a past wrong with to be restored. So, which type of listener have you been this morning? I've only stirred the waters a little bit, have I? Are you the kind that might have been a little agitated by the subject? Maybe God put his finger on something this morning are you the kind that maybe you feel indifferent to this sermon it's not really about you are you the kind that's thinking this is for someone else boy I'm gonna make I'm gonna get them to listen to Terry this week or maybe God has put his finger on something boy family relationships are so important especially aren't they I want to just conclude with a a scripture from Ephesians chapter 2, 14, where it says that, Paul says that, Jesus himself is our peace. So if you take that in every direction, the three that I described, with God, he's our peace with God, he's our peace within ourselves, he's our peace with each other. Paul says, Jesus himself is our peace, and what has he done? He's He's made us both one, by breaking down the dividing wall of hostility. That's what God does. Now obviously Paul is talking in the context about the fact that it's between Jewish and Gentile believers, Jewish and non-Jewish peoples. But Paul is certainly meaning, and the entire Bible is meaning, that any dividing wall of hostility that has been created by sinners has to be torn down, and it can be torn down through Jesus. The dividing walls of hostility of any nature, black or white or aboriginal, you name the dividing wall of hostility, it can be torn down in Jesus. In fact, God says to each one of us, whoever you consider to be on the other side of that wall, You name it. Is it a sibling that you haven't talked to for 20 years? Is it a race group that you have a hard time even passing on the street? Is it somebody that has wronged you from the past? Whatever person is on the other side of that wall of hostility, Jesus came into your life to get rid of the wall, folks. Because all lives matter to God, yes. God says, whatever demographic you want to place on the other side of that wall, he says, I love them. I love them as much as I love you. And if I love them that much, you need to love them that much too. Because you're part of my body. You're part of my family. I'm inviting them to the table. You're going to wake up one morning and see them there for breakfast, so you better get used to it. And so God says, In my son, in my son Jesus, I've destroyed every dividing wall of hostility. And every past thing, every piece of baggage that I might carry forward that has influenced the way I live and relate to those people on the other side of those walls has to come down. Would you let the the Lord do the work? Would you let Him lead you to the jabbok of your life? so that he can do the work of pouring out what needs to be poured out, healing what needs to be healed, and bringing you the kind of relationships that would glorify him. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, now as we conclude this service this morning, I thank you that uh, you have been here. Holy Spirit of God, this is your, your scripture. Jacob is a man that lived thousands of years ago, and yet his life speaks a message to us today. And today the message has been dealing with our past. Lord, we know that you want to heal our past more than we want to deal with it sometimes. But I ask you now, Father, that you might open up the hearts and minds of people that are listening to, to just know perhaps it's a small area or perhaps it's a bigger area. But I ask you, Father, would you help at least small steps to be made today for us to humble ourselves and be willing to face whatever it is you have for us so that we can move forward with healing and with reconciliation. We pray all this for the glory of Jesus Christ and for the good of us, your people. In his name we pray, amen. God bless you all. Have a great day.